Well, it is a privilege to be back with you guys again. And uh, not only have I been here to preach, but I've made this my home as I have for the last several years that we've been here uh, during the month so that I have the privilege of worshiping here week to week. And it's been a, a great place to be. So thank you very much for that. I know that some of you were, some of you perhaps were not here when I preached uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, it's out of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there or you have the insert with the text. Uh, but uh, last time I was here, I, I dealt with chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, and those verses talk about the unique story of the, the church and that the church has been given of God to be a priesthood to the world in which we live. And we talked about how the priesthood of all believers came into being, how we understand how God gave us a foundation for that, how we lost sight of that for many, many, many generations until the Reformation. And then the great claim of the Reformation, bring, bring the Word of God back to the people of God, but also bring the work of God back to the people of God. We talked about how the Word of God was given back to the people. The work of God, for whatever reason, was not. But how we are stones, we're living stones, the text says, and Christ is the cornerstone, and as such, we are priests. And we talked about how the fact that, well, as priests, we don't offer the sacrifices anymore, do we? Well, actually, we do. We just don't kill animals to offer sacrifices. And so I, uh, I closed that time thinking uh, through uh, how we remember the sacrifice. Went through four texts that talk about four ways we give sacrifice. I'm just curious to any of you remember those four. Oh, look here. I already see it. All right. Well, here we go. The first is our lives. And we just to remember that, I just gave you something, a memory tool. And I said, take your hand and where do you put it? There you go. You put it over your heart. And that reminds you, okay, we have a sacrifice to make. It's our lives. We give our lives to Him. Then secondly, we talked about the reality that we also give our worship. So the hand goes in the air. Many do that in their worship. Perfectly legitimate, appropriate, but it's just a sign of worship. And so we remember we do sacrifice by giving our worship to God. Thirdly, we talked about the hand being extended in service, remember? And we extend and we help people. We reach out to help. And then lastly, there's another sacrifice, and it is our resources, and the hand in where? The pocket. There you go, or the pocketbook. And so we talk about, okay, it's the priesthood of all believers. One way we talk about it around Perimeter Church is this, every member a minister. You probably do the same. Every person should be what? Just ministering. Just saying, I'm here, I'm available, and how can I be used? And God, what do you want me to do? And, and we talked a little bit about that. Now, the text doesn't stop there. It continues on in verses 9 and 10. I'd like to read the text to you, and then let's look at it for a few minutes. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and then note what it says, so that. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
You not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so now we talk about the reality that every, every member is also a messenger. That's a tough subject matter. Let me just ask you. Uh, most of you are Christians. Some of you here are seeking, trying to figure out the faith. And so certainly not for you, but for those that are, are believers in Christ. At first we ask the question, how many of us are real members? And what does that membership mean? And in the beginning of the series that I gave in Atlanta, I spent three weeks talking about what is membership. I was amazed how many of our people, though we've taught it and taught it, how many people came back and said, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And now they come to say, oh God, forgive me. I've never come in a covenant relationship with a church. I just thought it was one of those member if you want to be, member if you don't. We worked through three weeks teaching God's Word. And it astounded people to realize the importance of membership. And so when I say every member, I hope that's every Christian. They were all members of God's church. And there are good reasons. I wish I could go back through them. But members. First, we are we're going to serve. We're going to do the things we talk about here. We're going to be a priesthood of believers. But also, we have another responsibility. It's to be messengers. So with that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to, to really grab our hearts on this one. Let's pray. Father, this is such an important subject matter. I can't imagine how many of us as, as your real children would have to say to you, God, I, I don't know that I've really introduced anybody to you of late. Maybe even never in my entire Christian walk. Father, I, 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 I don't even know where to begin. I pray, Father, that you would, that you would just touch our hearts. And may this be a day that something would change and we would see ourselves as your ambassadors, as faithful messengers who proclaim the good news of your excellency. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Men said there are two requirements to get anything done. You've got to have a will and you've got to have a way, right? You take either one of those away, you're not going to see things happen. For instance, some say, well, I have a will, I just don't have a way. Well, that reminds me as a kid, I had a will to dig a hole through the earth. I thought that could happen. I figured I don't know how far it is, but if I do a little every day and I do it enough days, then eventually I get to the other side, I'd love to see what's there. And so for weeks and weeks, I dug a hole and I dug and I dug and then I hit things like rock and I hit things that were stopping me and I, I, it was over my head, I remember that much. I was committed. I had a will, but I didn't have a way. There are other people who say, uh, I, got a, I got a way, I just don't have a will. For instance, uh, me, as it relates to domestic work, yard work, I could do it, I just don't have the will to do it. <laughs> so it's not going to get done, it just won't happen, because it really takes the two working together. You got to have a will, you got to have a way, right? Well, I don't know what your dream might have been, but I'll tell you this, without both, the dream didn't come true. Do any of you have a dream? Don't, don't raise a hand. Anybody have a dream to, to be great in music and maybe fail to ever reach that dream? 
Maybe it was a business venture. You thought, oh, I could do this, I could do that. Maybe it was a, a relationship you were going to pursue, and for whatever reason, you didn't do it. And you look back, and you can say, well, what is it that stopped me from getting there? And you can identify it. It will either be the will or the way. You know, the same is true when it comes to this idea of us being ambassadors who proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We've got to have a will, and we have to have a way. I'm going to address the will side. I called Jerry a couple of weeks ago, and I said, a little while back, I said, Jerry, uh, I got different things I could speak on. What should I, what should I teach on? And I gave him several options. And he said, Which, where's your heart? What would, what would you like to preach on? As we talked about this, I said, I'd, I'd like to do this, but I just feel horrible when you talk to people about the importance of and the need to go out and tell people about Jesus, be ambassadors and be effective at, at, at being missional in the way we live. And then you don't come back and give them a way to be able to do that. And he shared something with me that I'm going to close with in just a, a few minutes that'll tell you why I then said, if that be the case, then I will address this subject matter. I'd like to do it. Now, when we think of the, the adage, uh, where there is a will, there is a way, I like that. I'm sure that's an overstatement in some cases. But the reality is, typically, it's the will that becomes most important. For instance, what if I were to tell you that I have a good friend, not a good friend, a friend, someone I know and I've spent time talking to, that is an outstanding tennis player. In fact, he is a teaching pro in tennis. And at the same time, though he's not a scratch golfer, he's almost a scratch golfer. And then I were to tell you that he has no arms. How many would believe that? Say, hey, yeah, not even possible. Oh, yes, it is. All you got to do is look up the name Butch Lumpkin. Look, golfer, you can say tennis player, just, just you know, Google it in there. And I say, hey, you know, without arms. With, and you'll see, it will blow your mind. Here's someone that has just a little nub and, and a few fingers, just literally out of his no arms. And you say, well, how does he do that? I, I even watch him do it. And I go, I don't know. I can't figure it out. But here's a guy, I sat over lunch with him. How did you do that? I found out I had a will. And when I got a will, I found a way. Folks, don't ever think for a minute, I'm a Christian, but God could never use me in other people's lives. God could never use me to lead other people to faith and lead them into eternity forever and ever. That's other people, that's not me. That is just not true. So we got to start there. Got to have a will, there is a way. Now, our text in verses 9 and 10 that I just read, it says we are a chosen people. Interesting word, chosen. That means that God selected us to be His. I don't get that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. He did it. 
God is so beyond our understanding, we'll never understand his ways, not fully. But he said, you've been chosen. He said, you're royal, you're holy. You've been called out of darkness into light. And I read that and I say, wow, that's true of me? That's true of you as Christians that we're chosen and royal and holy? Unbelievable. Why, God? And he gives us the answer so that we can proclaim his excellencies. That's why. Excellencies refers to virtues, qualities, character, deeds that reveal character and reveals God's ways. He says that's what we're to do. We're, we're kind of left on earth once we become Christians. Why? Well, so that we can go around and say, oh, by the way, do you know the excellency of the one who has brought us into existence? Hey, by the way, did you know he's not like people are saying he is? Did you know that actually he is this? Oh, by the way, can I tell you what he did in my life? Oh, by the way, can I tell you how God does? And we just proclaim his excellency. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us are introverted. We're going to have different manners in which we go about that. So when we talk about the way briefly at the closure, got to keep that in mind. It's not one size fits all. But believers are intended to proclaim to the universe the worthiness of God and his ways. I think of the stories of Matthew 4. Here comes Jesus walking along, and he, he sees Peter and Andrew, and they're fishing. And he says, hey, Peter, Andrew, follow me. And they realize at that moment how we don't understand fully, but they understood something. They understood that they had been preoccupied with catching fish, and that was not to be their preoccupation from that point on. He comes to two more guys. He comes up to James and John. They're mending nets. And he says, hey, follow me. They were preoccupied with fishing. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be fishing. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't have jobs. Absolutely not. But they realize that whatever it is I'm doing, I'm preoccupied with it until I realize that there's something else that God has called me to, and it's called following him. And so they start following him, and he says, oh, by the way, guys, you need to know this. Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That's going to happen if you follow me, which says this. This is hard to think, but if we're not fishing for men, we're not following Jesus. Something's wrong. So here comes this, the importance of this message of saying, okay, I, I need to be thinking about how can I do that? I, I want to make sure that I am doing that. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm here. By the way, I want you to know this. Don't want you to think for a minute because these guys left their fishing and they left their nets. And therefore, they're doing something far more important than those who still fish and do their nets. It's kind of like Carol and I have always talked about. Carol's been a homemaker. We have four children and a whole bunch of grandkids, and, and she stayed at home because we were able to do that. It worked, and that was what Carol felt was her call, and I felt it was the right call, and we said, okay. Absolutely nothing wrong with working outside in the marketplace, but that's what she wanted to do. But can you imagine as you see me going to work every day, and what are you going to do, Randy, while I'm preparing a message? Well, what else are you doing, Randy? Well, I'm going to go meet with so-and-so and try to lead him to Christ. And what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to meet with so-and-so and do such and such. And I'm, I'm going to spend my day doing all this stuff that's spiritual stuff. And how could she not help but have the feeling 
And I guess, well, you know, what am I doing? I said, well, Carol, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm, I'm going to get the bathrooms clean. I'm going to make sure and get the meals prepared. Is there any sense in which we would say what I do is really important and what she does is not important? Not at all. I followed God's call. She followed God's call. And therefore, I would say when I'd leave home from time to time, we'd talk, I'd say, Carol, keep in mind, what you're doing is every bit as spiritual as what I do. The reality is, though, that what we are called to, we say, God, here I am. Now, how are you going to use me as opportunity arises? That's the important one. Now, here's the issue. Some of us would say, I guess I don't have the will. Maybe I don't have the way either, but I, I'm not sure it, I'm even preoccupied with the idea of, of proclaiming his excellencies. I want you to know this. Anything that we want to happen in our life experience, it's coming again up here in the mind. It starts here with beliefs. It's when we get a belief and that belief becomes so strong, we say it is now a conviction. Guess what happens? It affects our emotion, how we feel about things. When we start feeling certain things, we have the great tendency to do what we feel like doing. If we're believing the right stuff, then we begin to feel like doing the right things. If we're believing the wrong things, then we start feeling like doing the wrong things. And so all of you kids and young people that are here, hear this now. Those feelings can so mislead you if the, if the mind and thinking is not in the right place. For instance, imagine that a, a little child, a four-year-old, three-year-old, is in a cabin in the mountains, and uh, parents at the other end of the cabin. The front door was left open. The door to her room is open, and she's standing there behind the bed, and here walks in a huge grizzly bear. And she realizes that this is a walking bear. I know how much fun my teddy bear is. Think how much fun this bear is going to be. I know what I do with my teddy bear. I hug my teddy bear. I'm going to go hug the big living bear. That's not going to be a good decision. But it's all presumed by how she felt. Oh, I would love to do that. I will do it. Because she believes that bears are for hugging. Now, a little girl who has now actually learned that no, living bears are very, very, very dangerous and they kill you, and that is the belief system that that little girl is living with, what happens? She sees the bear and she goes, oh no, I got to get out of here. And she realizes I can't get out. The bear's in the doorway and the bear's coming toward me. There's the window, but it's a story down. I, I may break my leg. I don't care. I'm jumping out the window. We actually do things that are very difficult that we don't enjoy doing, don't want to do, but we will do those things when we are convinced this is what I must do. That's where it begins for us as Christians. So the question is, do we believe it? So I'd like to give three beliefs or three factors that, that might just shape our beliefs to cause us to say, I believe it, it becomes a conviction, I want to do it, I'll find a way to do it. The way will come. Number one, you see in your outline, 
God wants it. He wants us to proclaim his excellencies. In verse 9, it says, so that, Hena clause, it literally in the original language, it says, now here is the reason why. Watch what's following. So that. So, well, then why does God leave us here? Why does God say, Christian, you got a lifetime now. Live it out. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But it's important that you stay. Why? In big part, so that we may proclaim his excellencies. Again, it says you're a chosen race. That means a selected people. You're a royal priesthood. Literally, we are kingly servants. We're a holy nation, meaning a people set apart. We're a people for God's own possession. We're an acquired people. Special people for a special mission. And that's the reason. Because God wants it. Now, don't you think that we should be able as Christians to stop right there and say, that's enough. God wants me to proclaim his excellencies. He's done all of these things for me so that I might proclaim his excellencies. Enough, let's go do it. But it actually doesn't stop there. Number two, others need it. Verse 9 again. He says, they need it because they need to get out of darkness, which is what's happened to those of us who are Christians. We've been brought out of darkness. Now, you understand that that means right now we've been brought out of darkness, not in totality of light, but we have been brought out of the darkness in which we've lived. But also there's an eternity coming where it's going to be in totality, and we are totally out of the darkness. We're out of the darkness of the the penalty of sin. We're out of a lot of darkness already. But there's an eternal one. There's one right now as well. But I want to just focus just on the eternal side. I think most of us are getting the picture that, that Christians can go through all kind of we call hell on earth, and we can survive and still have joy. Carol and I have uh, several friends in our church that are in latter fourth stage of, of cancers that are horrible. I'm telling you, just horrible. And one in their 30th chemo treatment now, and one that no treatment's working right now, and, and all the pain and the agony and the suffering, and, and at their age saying, oh God, I've got children, I need to, you know, oh God, I'd love to stay. But you spend any time with these guys, and they're going to tell you this. I have a joy that I've never experienced in my life. Explain that one, will you? I'll tell you why it is. They've been brought out of darkness. They've been brought into light. And that light refers not just to moral light, but to truth light. And they know the truth about what this is doing in their life and what's coming in the future, and they, they're okay. They're all right. Uh, we get that. To a degree. But this is what I'm not sure we really get. I'm not sure we really believe that people go to hell. I begin to wonder, does the Christian community even believe it? I have two groups, men's groups, this last year I was meeting with, every week. I decided to ask them. I just thought, I'm going to check this out. I said, tell me this. Give me all the reasons you as a group can come up with that we should share our faith with other people. People outside the faith, they should hear the faith. Tell me the reasons why. And we talked about it five, six, seven minutes, and I had a list. I wrote down everything. Great list of all these great reasons. 
Do you know in both groups there was one thing that was left out that I thought was certainly going to be, should be at the very, very, very top of the list. I never heard them say, because these people will go to hell without Christ. I never heard that. And I said, well, by the way, by the way guys, what about the fact that if it's by preaching and teaching and telling and, and so forth that people know the truth and that's how they find, they find eternal life. Well, what about heaven and hell? What, is that not an... Oh, I didn't think about it. I've had too many people over the years do this. I learn about their loved one who's died. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a dad. I'll just pick that. And I'll say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry to hear about your dad. Now, I'm talking about somebody churched and loves the Lord. And I say, I am so sorry to hear about the Lord. Oh, you know, Randy, I, thank you so much. But it was really the best thing that happened. It was, it was the best thing that could happen. I said, oh, really? Well, tell me. Oh, they've been suffering with cancer so long. They've been in such pain and agony. We're just, we're just thrilled that they're through all of that. Now, I hear that from a Christian, and I can't help but think they're going to be able to say, yeah, my dad was a Christian. So I assume they are. I say, so your, your dad a believer? And here, uh, I never saw any evidence of it. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Now, because I want to be kind and pastoral, I'm not going to say anything, but I can't help but think, do you not believe that right now he is in a far worse condition than when he's suffering cancer? Is it because maybe we don't even believe that there is a darkness and that there is an eternal darkness? There are positive realities. We've been brought into marvelous light. We should, that should... That should impress us too to say, oh man, I want people to live in marvelous light. That means being, experiencing sonship with God and being adopted by him, being his heirs, standing in grace, having spiritual power, having spiritual rewards. See, if we could see everything that is true of us as Christians because God in his grace brought us into his family, I mean, we would be so overwhelmed with appreciation. We'd be saying, please folks, you need to hear about this even though it might be hard and we might be criticized for doing what we do. God wants it. Others need it. And lastly, we got it. We got that fruit of knowing His excellencies. Verse 10, without it, we were not a people of God. In fact, it says we're alienated, we're hostile, we're enemies, we're deserving eternal punishment. That is in Scripture. Somewhere you'll find every one of those. That's the way we were. We had not received mercy. That's a perfect participle in the Greek language, which that would say that it's a, a long, continual situation, and then, but, something happens. You have now received mercy. Now that's called in the aorist participle, which means a decisive point in time, which means this. The very minute, Christian, that you came into faith into Christ by His goodness and His grace, at that moment, you and I were put in His marvelous light. That very moment. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to make that light brighter. No, no, no. He says, you've been brought into marvelous light. You got it. You got it. I can't help but think what Jesus said in Luke 7. Those who are forgiven much, they love much. 
See, our motivation is not in order that God will love me more, in order that he won't do this to me. No, it's because of. Look what he has done for me. How can it be? If you really want to be overwhelmed as much as it is possible in our emotional state or whatever, to be overwhelmed with God's love, just go straight to the cross and look what he's done. And then we ask the question, Christian, do you want to share your faith? Do you want to help other people do it? And by the way, you know, there are so many ways to do it. There's the extrovert, and see, I thought I had to be, I'm an introvert. Not extreme, but I'm an introvert. And I thought that I had to share my faith like extroverts to be effective at sharing my faith. And I remember the time I was put in a position, I was a, just a, a, a student, and I was just, I'd come to faith, and I just said, oh, I do not ever want to have to tell somebody else. I don't want to talk to other people about this. It's not, uh-uh-uh-uh. And I go to a conference, a youth conference, and the whole week is spent, literally the whole week is spent teaching us how to share our faith. And the last day they pulled a surprise that was not a good one. They said, no, Friday, in our beach time, we actually have the opportunity to go share our faith with somebody on the beach. And I said, I will not go share my faith on the beach. <laughs> well, you don't have to because bus A will go play on the beach and bus B, well, not good, I'm going on bus A. And then, as many of you Christians understand, the work of the Holy Spirit touching your heart says, no, I want you on bus B. And I finally surrendered. I said, God, on one condition, you give me somebody younger than me, you give me somebody dumber than me. <laughs> That's all I ask. Give me both, I'll be fine. I assumed God would meet his end of the deal. I was making a big sacrifice. Certainly he could do his end of the bargain. So I go out and I'm doing my little thing, looking for the most dumb young guy I can find. And, <laughs> I see him and I say, that is my victim or my person that I'm supposed to be talking to. And, and I go over, my heart's just a flutter, and I go up to him and I said, excuse me, I'm taking a, a community, a beach religious survey. You have any interest in taking this survey? It's a religious survey. And yeah, sure. Sit down. So I sit on the beach there with him and oh boy, here I go. So I have to give a few questions for the questionnaire and I do. And, and I say, you know, you're in school. And he said, he said, I am a, I'm a sophomore. Well, I was in the ninth grade. That's a freshman. But birthdays, you never know. And I'm going, it's close. Okay. Then I have to ask, what school do you attend? And this guy says, Georgia Tech. <laughs> We're talking college and smart college. <laughs> and I'm going, God, this is not right. I got to get out of here. But I thought, okay, I got to just finish this little thing. I said, okay, this is, uh, you're supposed to ask the last question, do you feel a need for more personal religious faith? I think I've said, you don't feel a need for more personal religious faith, do you? And, and gosh, I couldn't believe it. He said, I do, I really do. Oh, no. 
So we're using a little four spiritual laws. Some of you may have seen them tonight, but it, it says just their physical laws in the physical universe, so their spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. Law one, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And I get that out, and I say it, and as soon as I do, I just freeze. I couldn't say a word. And I just remember, what do I do, what do I do? And I said, I just remember that it's, they kept saying, just read every word. Every word, read. Well, I looked down at the bottom of the page, and it has copyright information. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do I read the copyright information? Now, do you see why God didn't find somebody dumber than me? They didn't exist, I don't think. And I'm like, oh, well, then I'm frozen. I can't. And I just sit there and sit there. He looks at me like, are you okay? And I'm not okay. And I say, okay, I just got to get out of here. So I stood up as if it were part of the presentation. And I said, and you know what? There are three more laws in this little book that are every bit as good as the first. And by that time, I'm standing up brushing off sand. And I said, and if you want to know what they are, it's going to be because you read them on your own. I dropped it and I ran as fast as I could. <laughs> and I remember saying, I will never, ever, ever do this again. I don't go up to people and start talking to them. Do you know what? Somebody came along in my life and said, you need to understand the way that works for you. And I didn't know that. And when I found a way that worked for me, then I said, I can actually do this. Do you know that the training that we've come up with and have used for years and years and years that I train and so forth, you do use the same stuff here. And you're going to be doing it on uh, April 6th, on a Saturday. And you'll learn the way. You'll learn there's a way if you want to, you say, oh, my best way is, is maybe just to give somebody something to read. Maybe my best way is to, is to maybe invite them to go somewhere with you. Maybe your best way, you're gifted in such a way that you can help people investigate the claims of Christianity. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways to do it. And I just say this. I keep saying this to people now. I say, look, you've got to make it simple. You've got to make it simple, simple, simple. The way has got to be simple. Well, what is the way? I say it's GBS. That's what we keep saying. GBS, of course. Uh, GBI, GBI, GBI. What, what, what do you mean GBI? Well, in, in Atlanta, we know GBI, you know, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. So, but GBI. But no, it's just, it's three words. They just remind us the three words. First is you greet. You just greet people. They say, well, how do you do that? I say, here's the way I do it. I can teach you right now. Hi, my name is Randy. I would encourage you to use your name instead of mine. But the minute you do that, you have greeted. Done. You're a third of the way through all of witness. That's all it takes. Well, what's, what's not? Well, then you got to befriend. Well, how do you befriend? Well, this is pretty simple too. It's be friendly. Just ask questions. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Well, tell me about this. Tell me about that. Just be friendly. I don't know. What does be friendly mean? Just be friendly. You're two-thirds the way through. I don't know. For some people, that might take five minutes. It may take five weeks. It may take five months. I don't know, but you be friendly until you're ready, and, and we'll teach you there how to determine if it's the time. And then the last thing you do is you I, you invite. You invite them to read. You invite them to attend something. You invite them to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. And you get tools in your tool belt. And all of a sudden you say, I got a way now. 
I'd like to close with this. I share this story in our, in our training. Uh, I could share many stories like this. But I have my journey group, my discipleship group, as you have your groups here. I say, as a leader, I say, I'd like for you to put me in connection with somebody who's as pagan and, and against the things of Christianity that you can find, and let's have lunch with them. And however you can try to get them there, be honest, tell them who I am, what you know, I don't care. I'm a kind of coaching you in life. I'm a preacher. I don't care, but just see if you can get them there. Some are very faithful to do that. Some struggle with it, but one of these guys in my group, named Ryan. Ryan says, oh, I know, who I, I know who God wants me to bring. I know. And I said, well, who is it? He says, it's my future brother-in-law. I said, well, bring him. Uh-uh, I don't want to. I said, why? I said, he said, because I don't like him. <laughs> and he doesn't like me. And he's about to marry my sister. And it's going to be such a mistake. He's against it. Oh, it's just, uh, and plus, he's so hard. He's so this, and it wouldn't work out. And I said, well, bring him. I don't know. I don't even know if he wanted to see him in heaven one day. I'm not sure. But <laughs> he says, finally, he says, okay. I'm, so he comes to me. He says, all right, Randy. He's going to meet us for lunch. I said, that's good. He says, no, that's not good. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, Randy, I'm just telling you, it's not going to be good. I said, no, it'll, it'll work fine. So we get there, a little Mexican restaurant, and I'm the last of the three of us to get there. They're sitting across the table and from each other. I sit down and I say, hey, John, I'm, I'm Randy. I don't know much about you. I know your future brother-in-law here, you know, soon to be married and so forth. That's about all I know, but uh, glad to be able to sit down and get to know you. He looks at me. He takes his finger. He points at me, and he says, listen, I'm a Baptist. That means I'm a Christian. Are we okay now? Are we all right? We got that settled? Now, assume you're in my seat. What do you do next? Most go, oh, you know what? I had a tool in my tool belt. And I pulled this little tool out. And I said, can I show you a little diagram? That's my tool. And he goes, yeah, I guess. I've never had anybody say no to a diagram. I've never had anybody say, well, I don't listen to diagrams. I don't look at diagrams. <laughs> so I take, and I just write it out for a few minutes. And when I finish, he's going, so you don't mind meeting with me for four weeks? You, you really okay with that? You don't mind? I, I, I really appreciate it. That would mean a lot to me if you do it. I said, oh, no. As long as you read a little bit of the Word of God, and I just told him how and so forth. I said, you've got to do that every day, or I just don't want to meet. It's got to be, oh, I'll do it every day. I will, I will, which he did. But anyway, we set a date to meet our first next lunch together and to investigate Christianity. This was investigation. And so, I, so I'm, you know, I'm leaving in my car, and we all leave, say goodbye. I'm not five minutes into my car ride home. My phone rings as I'm driving, and it is my friend Ryan. He's a big boy. Probably in his 30s, 30-something. And he's crying like a baby. I said, what's wrong? He said, my sister just called me. I said, well, how'd it go? Why? why what happened? What's wrong? She said, nothing's wrong. She's just, she was asking me. She said, what just happened? John just met with a preacher and wants to meet with him four weeks in a row. What happened? And I said to my friend Ryan, I said, Ryan, let me ask you something. 
Did you hear me or watch me do anything that you went, wow, that's amazing. How did you do that? These were his words. No. <laughs> Anybody could have done what you just did. And I said, there's my point. It wasn't what I did, it's the tool I had. And Christian, you know what we're doing? We're walking around without tools. We don't know how to answer the question, what about the Bible? Is it God's Word? We don't know how to deal. What about God letting bad, bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow you know, good religious people outside of Christianity go to hell forever? How could Jesus be the only way to God? And we go, oh, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't, wanna, I don't even want to start that conversation. And so we avoid the conversation. We just don't have the tools. I'm going to encourage you folks. Two things. Seeker, this is not the two things. This is the believer. The seeker first, go look at the cross. See what Jesus has done. And this is going to change up here. And it'll change the way you feel. It'll change the way you behave. That's what happens when Christ grabs hold of you. You become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But Christian, I'm going to suggest to you that as you first, you, you keep saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I'm willing let me have the conviction that drives me there. And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, you join the church if you're not a member of the church. You join the church. Number two, get you some tools. Get you some tools in your tool belt. And then you'll have your reason for living to proclaim His excellencies, and you will never have to think, I'll walk into eternity and say, I'm sorry, Lord, there's just one thing I didn't do. I didn't proclaim your excellencies. That's what we want for you at Covenant Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray you would grant that for every believer here, that there may be a people that are prepared, ready, and do a great job of proclaiming your excellencies. And Father, I pray for the seekers among us. May they see the love that you show and what you offer to all, and may that love overwhelm them to the point that bend the knee and fall in love with you. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.